arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitt. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. What? boy. We just got a call from Harris Community Hospital. The wounded guard swears he saw Kimball right outside the emergency room. Well, that's hot. And an ambulance is missing. Where the hell's he going in an ambulance? Richard Kimball, played by Harrison Ford, is chased by Tommy Lee Jones till he gets away. This 1993 movie, The Fugitive, had no influence on Loftus' escape from the complex in the Appleton Hills. The whole scenario came to me while I was on the top of a metal fire tower on the top of Mount Nawatak overlooking the Pioneer Valley. From that tower I could see where a government installation was located as well as the trail where it wound under the trees in the hills north of town. I didn't have a name for my lead character of this potential book at the time, and by chance dozens of people had scratched their names into the metal caging on the tower. And out of all those scrawlings, the name Tom Loftus jumped out at me. I had a lead character that would run with his buddy down the trail to escape the helicopters and the soldiers guarding the complex. I headed down the trail and occasionally took notes about what I saw in the hills and later the reservoir. The trail does pass by farmland, which I used for the area behind Cass' cabin. The trail proceeds north to the summit of Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire, but I didn't go that far. There are conventional railroad tracks north of town. Most people can just go out and hike and have a great time in the great outdoors, but my imagination is always flowing and going crazy. Let's hear what happens to Zack and Loftus as episode 4 of Sojourn by Robert P. Fitton begins now. Chapter 21. Having a problem at Appleton was the last thing Monday needed after the nasty conversation with the premium mobile. Sunlight cut through the side portals and across the aisle rug as the plane circled above the clouds over Bathurst. He balanced in the turbulence and rounded the corner to his cubicle. The sergeant looked up from the phone and shook his head. Not very clear in Appleton, Colonel. Everything is disrupted. I have Dr. Vandermeer, but Mundy pushed him aside, grabbed the phone. This is Colonel Mundy on the line. Vandermeer, Colonel, can you? Doctor, what's this about a problem up in Appleton? A problem at Appleton? Colonel, fire is still burning. We're trying to contain it. Whoa, whoa. You don't know? Know about what? About what? About the explosion. Explosion? Can you hear me, Colonel? Again. What is going on up there? The signal hissed and popped. Mundy hit the receiver several times. He turned to the sergeant, now standing in the doorway. Did he say something exploded? Yes, an explosion, Colonel. Mundy switched Vandermeer's voice to the speaker. A massive amount of damage in the storage area. Extensive. Coils? What about the coils? Asked Mundy. 
Coils are intact and functioning. Hopefully the fire will not spread to the intersection. Fools! I will not tolerate negligence, Doctor. No, I won't. What do I tell the premium mobile? Mundy slumped in the chair when the transmission faltered, closed his eyes and pinched his brow. Several minutes passed. I'll be blamed for this. Yes, I will. We've lost the signal, Colonel. Mundy looked over his shoulder. I know that! Then he spun around and banged the console speaker. Vandermeer! Vandermeer! Shall I call Bathurst, Colonel? They can reestablish the signal with more powerful antennas. No, under no circumstance will you call Bathurst. You have heard nothing here, Sergeant, nothing. I will make all the broadcasts. He barged by the sergeant and into the pilot's cabin. The sun brightened the cabin as they traced the layered gray clouds leading to the horizon. What is our status? We're waiting for the storm to abate below, Colonel, said the pilot, looking at the co-pilot. Can you bring her down? asked Mundy. Well, that could be a risky move. I have a potential emergency and I can't get through at this distance. I need to use the Bathurst radios. Well, we could land. It's not impossible. I just... Storm or no storm? I want this plane down. Mundy changed into his brown dress uniform. He had just buckled his seat harness when the plane again dipped into the cloud bank. The jet bounced and shimmied, but the anxiety about the Appleton explosion overtook his thoughts. The premium mobile would accuse him, and he had no excuse. As they navigated through the bumpy air, he prayed Vandermeer's disrupted transmission had never reached Bathurst. At the lower altitude, the ground was indistinguishable from the spitting icy glow above. Only at the last moment, when the purple runway lights appeared, did he know they were about to touch down. The craft landed with a jolt, fishtailed slightly, and quickly taxied in the heavy squall. Mundy pressed his nose against the window all the way to the hangar. Once inside, on the dry concrete, he moved up front. He ordered the stairway extended and tapped his boot as he waited for the hatch to open. The cold air laced the rain through the open doors. He ran into the chilled hangar as the outside doors retracted. A few aides met him on the concourse, but he skirted them and headed directly for the control tower stairs. He stood rigid as the exposed elevator rose above the aircraft. A few seconds later, the control room door slid open, and one of his men jumped to his feet when Mundy stormed into the room. Colonel Mundy! I need a channel to Appleton. You were lucky to have landed safely in that storm. Mundy opened the communications room door and ordered the soldiers to leave. He kicked the side door shut and requested the console portals establish a visual signal to Appleton. After repeated attempts, only an audible transmission vibrated over the speakers. Where's the visual portal? Where is it? Not possible at this time. Signal sporadic. Then get me Vandermeer in Appleton. Mundy leaned back in the chair and rubbed his eyes. The tension from his temples extended down his neck and back. Keeping this from the premium mobile was not possible. Colonel, Vermont is audible. Mundy grit his teeth. Where the hell is Vandermeer? Who is this? This is Harmon Mundy. Get me Dr. Vandermeer. Mundy spun in the chair. He waved off the people watching him through the glass, and his leg gyrated under the counter as he methodically chewed the inside of his mouth. Harmon? Vandermeer, I want explanations now. Now, not later. Colonel, I was trying to tell you there were intruders inside this facility. Mundy gripped the console with both hands. Who was inside that facility? Who? 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 They contributed to container explosions in room E9. 
How did anyone get into the facility? We have security cameras. We have guards inside and out. I don't know, Colonel. You did apprehend the infiltrators, didn't you? Vandermeer paused. We, well, we think they're dead. Are they dead or aren't they? They stole Dr. Hollis's CV and drove it over the cliff. I don't give a damn about Hollis's CV. Get Rivard. He won't be head of security much longer. Well, he's at the crash site, Colonel. It wasn't his fault. I need John Garvey up there. This is crazy. Heads will roll. Mundy hovered over the counter and stared at the speaker. I want this channel on visual now. Colonel, we can't establish the visual because of the storm up there at Bathurst. Hopefully the intruders are dead. I don't think you understand, Horace. I want them dead, especially at this juncture. We can't have knowledge of what we're doing get out to the central feeds. Listen to me. I want John Garvey up there immediately. I don't care where he is. Colonel, they tell me we may have a visual playback of the intruders. Did you hear what I just said? Yelled Mundy. Yes, Colonel. They're calling Garvey now, but Colonel, I think you and the Premium Mobile should see this visual. I haven't seen it myself. Mundy opened his eyes. No mobile! No mobile! Colonel, we have the visual now. Portals, the visual connection to Appleton, to this screen only. Vandermeer materialized in a booth at the Appleton complex. The red coils, apparently undamaged, rose upward behind him. Play the visual! Vandermeer pointed to a guard to his left. The man nodded, and the screen filled with sector blocks, but soon sharpened as the jerky movement from an attached shoulder security image recorded a corridor inside the facility. A door opened to the mezzanine railing, and the camera swung below. Mundy slowly stood as Tom Loftus and Zach Grasso ran away from the coils. That's Tom Loftus. Thought he was running a restaurant in San Francisco. Loftus is dangerous, dangerous. Is he the one who took the CV? Vandermeer came back on the screen. Yes, Colonel, they're searching the area now. I The car caught fire when it went over the cliff. Mundy buried his head in his crossed arms. My God, why Tom Loftus? Why Loftus? said Vandermeer. I want reports from that crash site. I won't have Tom Loftus on the loose down there. You see either him or Zach Grasso, you kill them. I will tell security. Get me, Garvey! Everything is threatened now. The whole shooting match. Threatened. Chapter 22. For over an hour and a half, both men had run at a fast clip along the rolling forest trail. Loftus hoisted himself onto a weathered granite chunk Zack took a deep breath and crawled up next to him. The light flickered through the branches as Loftus studied the trail, dipping into a wooded glen. Do you know where we're going, Captain? This is the McGonquin Trail. It runs up the state into Canada. They've figured this all out by now and that we're not in that CV. Loftus activated his tablet and Zack looked over his shoulder at the massive red coils on the screen. We need to transmit this to Frank, but how do we get to a secure line or channel? Zack shook his head. Keep that satellite connection off. It is. We're going to have to physically get the tablet archive files to Frank. Loftus nodded and accessed the visual back to Vandermeer's conversation. I'd like to know what the hell is so important about Bathurst Island. You know, it's hard to believe the service could keep this whole thing secret. Especially with Mundy's big mouth. Rima has always operated with immunity and with great latitude. You know that. Nobody ever knew what they were doing or questioned it. 
Loftus instructed the tablet to shut down. This is all my fault. Mundy being in charge is my fault. Zack put his hand on Loftus's wrist. Let's not rehash Long Beach again, Captain. Come on. Zack, there's more to Long Beach than we realized, said Loftus as they continued down the trail. I don't understand. Vernon found information. Mundy procured a ferry to Catalina the night after the explosion. Apparently, they set up a medical ward on the lower part of the ferry boat. For who? Yes, for who? Vernon thinks that Nathan survived the accident. Zack stopped and faced Loftus. Don't you think we would have found that out? I would think so. Not going to help us now. I think Mundy played both sides. They started up a small wooded hill. You're right. We have to get out of town. Loftus stroked his knuckles under his lip as he looked up through the maples and pines along the eastern ridge. He knew John Garby would have jet copters in the air any time now, but he had convinced himself that Garby knew nothing about these trails. Loftus's RISCOM digits had just passed noon as they approached the narrow state highway breaking the trail. From behind a large sloping hemlock, Loftus peered through the needles as vehicles passed on the highway. The trail, marked by painted white dots on the trees, continued about 50 yards to the left and down the road. Loftus patted Zack on the shoulder. They dashed across the asphalt and into the pine grove ahead. Twenty years had not diminished his memory of hiking with Kath near the reservoir less than a mile down this very trail. He visualized her long brown hair in the forest's amber light. Her cheekbones and soft blue eyes were vivid as she smiled and held his hand down this very trail to the mountain reservoir. Captain, where the hell are we? Loftus turned in the sunlight. We're actually in an adjacent town, Pilby. There's a tiny reservoir right below us. He thought he heard jet copters as he looked through the pines. They didn't have a priority one. We could use global positioning. Nope, it's the old-fashioned way this time, good buddy. No signals. He maneuvered across dried pine needles and tree roots, exposed like veins along the shaded hillside. The grove opened to a brighter area containing a clear pond cupped within the hills and a grassy dike where the trail crossed a concrete spillway. At the edge of the spillway, Loftus had sat with Kath long ago, eating a dinner they had transported up here. They talked about marriage. Even with Zack with him in the service in pursuit, the area seemed oddly remote, even lonely. He cleared his mind as if he were zapping a file from his tablet and trailed Zack across the grass. Their shadows paralleled the reservoir rocks. A few clouds in the forested shore reflected in the clear water below the embankment. He knelt once he reached the spillway concrete and dipped his hand into the gushing water emptying from the lake. The coolness cleansed his sweaty face. When he closed his eyes, the water cascaded back through time. For a short time during the picnic dinner on the grass, he had changed his mind about entering the service. Just a few days later, he nixed a future life with Kath and he boarded the bus to New York. Only during the past week, especially right now, so many years later, did he fully comprehend what he had given up. Jet copters whirling over the hills broke his concentration. Both he and Zack jumped from the concrete and splashed down the spillway water. As the copters appeared over the adjacent ridge, he leaped through the oncoming water and vaulted the far wall. Zack scrambled with him down the gravel hill into the woods. From the bushes, the silver air spinners revolved as the red-bellied copters veered over the reservoir. Zack started along the trail, but Loftus was weak and staggered. Then he fell back to the leaves. 
Captain. He looked up at Zack's bushy mustache, backlit against the trees above. For a moment, he was Trevor, standing at the sandy canyon river, but his thoughts bounced back. He opened and closed his eyes several times, alternatively seeing Zack and then the gaping wound on his father's leg. Damn! Damn this! Not now! He shook his head as Zack pulled him up. Damn this! You're dreaming. Loftus, his mind focused on the present danger, held Zack's arm. Let's get the hell out of here before we get killed. He looked over his shoulder as they blended back to the foliage. The air rodent noise faded over the ridge. He and Zack paralleled the spillway's protruding tree branches and rocky banks. Like jackrabbits in the hunt, they hopped along the water as it gurgled around and over the rock slabs below. The copters might prove difficult now. They'll be using heat scanners, Captain. Loftus jogged beside him as they approached a smaller reservoir and neared a wooden footbridge raised over the narrow channel. Concrete must have diverted the skin. We're damn lucky. Or it could be the outside heat. It's hot as hell up here today. Zack bounced across the wooden boards and descended the other side onto the trail, following the reservoir. Once a day cools, we'll be sitting ducks, said Loftus. We need to get the hell out of town or hide. Cass' house was no more than a few miles up the trail. They kept a steady pace through the woods until the trail widened onto a lazy dirt road perpendicular to the stream. As they ducked under a green metal gate and stepped onto the forest road, the copters sounded through the trees near the main reservoir. As they ducked under a green metal gate and stepped onto the forest road, the copters sounded through the trees near the main reservoir. Down the road was a wooden bridge above the advancing stream where he and Kath frequently walked. Two white dots painted on the trees signaled the trail started north again along the ridges parallel to North Street. Finding her house provided him with a tempting proposition, but he was adamant against bringing her into the center of this massive manhunt. As his boots echoed against the wood bridge boards, the ever-moving creek flowed west over the glaciated rocks. His heart longed for the simpler days of twenty years ago. He needed to follow the ridge, get out of town, and stay clear of Kath. Chapter 23 Vernon lowered the landline gradually and shook his head. I knew it! Damn it, I knew it! What happened? asked Bronsky, joining him at the window. Bad news. There was an explosion in the complex. They tried to get out, but... We have to get out of here, Vernon, or our face getting blamed for that whole thing. Just sit tight, will you? Bronsky seemed gleeful. Are they in custody? Vernon's face tightened. No. They may be dead, damn it. Apparently a car was stolen and went over the ridge. No bodies? Oh, sorry to disappoint you, Bronski, but they have found nothing in the wreckage. Knowing Tommy, he bailed out. He's not dead. Which means he'll be heading back here to the motel. No, he's not that stupid. Vernon slid over to the window and glanced at his wrist comm. They have a priority one alert. We can't even get him on his wrist comm. Well, we should never have done this, said Bronski in a loud, steady tone. You shut up. Vernon stared at the university buildings in the afternoon light. Garvey and the others would easily figure out the Vandermeer trunk scenario. Garvey would blame him and Bronski. At least the complex security would be preoccupied with the damage until they found Tommy. The car crash allowed both men time to move through the woods. John Garvey might not know. Tommy hiked the woods in his younger years. He spun around as Bronski scrawled something into his tablet. Gonna volunteer for the search teams is what we're gonna do. 
Oh, sure, said Bronsky, closing the tablet. Vernon, I think you would understand this is a service matter. You've already put personal priorities over service priorities. Screw the service. i got a friend out there I've known for 20 years, a kid I personally brought through the ranks. If you don't realize that friendship overrides the dance service, Bronsky, then you might as well pick up that landline and call John Garvey right now. I hear what you're saying. Sure you hear it, but you're a liar. Vernon yanked out his gun and abruptly clicked the clip. If you jeopardize either one of my friends, I'll kill you. Bronsky had left the room when Vernon returned from the CV with his backpack. He slammed the motel door. He headed back to the CV and started the vehicle. He backed out of the motel lot and nearly hit the motel's blue van. His heart pumped faster than it had in years as he realized his complicity in a conspiracy against the service. With retirement only days away, he had jeopardized his career to help Tommy. John Garvey relished having people cornered. As he drove through town, he knew Tommy did not have many choices, but if he were still alive, he would need a safe location. Just as Garvey and the others did not know about the trails through the hills, they would need to search portal files to establish the relationship between Loftus and Kathleen Grady years ago. During his first years with Loftus, he had talked long as to whether Loftus should have left that woman back here in Appleton. He was sure that Tommy would hike to her house. Vernon still had to contend with John Garvey taking control of the burgeoning search already underway. He slowed the car and checked the town map on the CV onboard navigation. Portal. Address Kathleen Grady. Okay, Kathleen Grady. Kathleen Grady, 415 North Street, SRA at 0904. Thank you, thank you. Proceed. As he swung the car left toward the eastern hills, he noticed the earlier smoke over the mountain facility had cleared. He sped along a back road and slowed along a barbed wire fence bordering a grassy hillside scattered with black and white cows. Kathleen Grady's house, according to CV navigation, was further up the road. In the rearview mirror, he thought he saw a vehicle stop abruptly back at the light a few hundred yards down the hill. A blue van, identical to the motel van, turned right onto the state highway. Maybe he was jumpy, or maybe Bronsky had procured the motel van. He crushed the accelerator against the floor, skidded down the hill, rousting the cows in the pasture. At 60 miles an hour, he dipped along more farmland. Behind the fields to the right, he observed a log cabin with a farmer's porch next to a barn at the end of a tree-lined dirt drive. Horses grazed out back. Navigation alerted him to his arrival at the destination. He checked the rear monitor again, and the CV stirred the dust along rows of trees toward the cabin. It was imperative he find Kathleen Grady and find her quickly. Chapter 24 From a weathered basalt cliff surrounded by hemlocks and maples, Loftus surveyed the mountain range. The sun blaze cast a glare across the distant river, and dozens of jet copters were swarming like bees over the valley. He and Zack had munched on blueberries and wild strawberries along the trail, but as Loftus gazed north, he wondered just how long they could hide. He stared at his wrist comm. If only we could transmit any of this to DeLuca. Zack stared at the town beyond the two ridges. Captain, I worry about the central feeds covering this story. Some fabricated story. Which Garvey will provide them, said Zack. 
What about Vernon and that punk agent getting trapped in all of this? Vernon is savvy enough to be long gone. Loftus stabilized his boots on the ledge and placed his hands on his hips. Another few miles down the ridge would bring them deeper into the wooded hills and out of town. He and Zack had talked about using the freight quick rails. The rail line swung through North Appleton and out of town toward New York. It might be possible to contact DeLuca upon returning to Washington. Again, he focused to his immediate left. Kath's house was less than a couple of miles across the fields along North Street. Under no circumstances would he approach that area. Let's head out. By mid-afternoon, as the trail sunk to a lower elevation off the ledges, they stumbled into a cornfield tucked between the woods and more farmlands off North Street. They nibbled on the corn half-grown and then followed the trail along the open green stretch ahead. Out of the woods, a young man atop a huge dark steed galloped along a row of trees bordering the open meadow and headed toward them. Loftus gripped his gun but did not draw as the dust swirled behind the horse's mighty legs. The rangy kid had light brown hair and a wide grin. He pulled back on the reins. Loftus moved ahead of Zack and rubbed his hand along the horse's nose. Then he looked into the kid's blue eyes. You look like you're here for a reason. I am. He dismounted in a single motion like a gymnast and landed perfectly on his feet next to Loftus. He was about the same height. You guys look like you could use some help. Zack lit what was left of a stubby cigar. That is the understatement of the year. I'm John Grady. Oh boy, said Loftus quickly. He firmly shook Loftus's hand. Loftus stared at the high cheekbones and blue eyes. His thoughts rocketed back to the village trough 20 years ago. After a football game, he had bragged to a young English major named Kathleen Grady about his prowess on the gridiron. What astounded Loftus was her total indifference at the time. No matter how much he touted his successes, she smiled that same perfect smile as this kid in front of him right now. She talked quietly about simple things and Loftus fell in love with her right there at the bar. I'm Tom Loftus. I know that. Agent Crawford described you when he came to our cabin. Vernon Crawford? asked Zack, puffing the cigar as he moved next to Loftus. Where is he now? asked Loftus as he held John's arm. John shrugged his shoulders. He's back at our cabin on North Street. How did you know we'd be up here? He said you guys might come to our cabin through the woods, so I rode up the trail. Loftus again heard the copters along the ridges south of town. Look, son, I don't think you understand. My friend and I, we're in a tremendous amount of trouble here. I can't have you or your mother anywhere near it. One of the copters flew parallel to the ridges about a mile away from town. Captain, let's get out of this open area. Agreed. Loftus turned in the bright sunlight, dousing the grassy tree-lined field. Out of the woods, maybe a hundred yards away, another horse, smaller and light brown, pranced onto the field. The rider wore a lightweight blue t-shirt and jeans. Loftus's stomach rocked with emotion, took two steps into the higher grass. Kath's hair was still long and brown and gently bounced over her defined shoulders. The horse cantered slowly. He heard jetcopters, but he couldn't stop himself from walking toward her. She had an equally vacant look upon her wide face, but the light intensified her soft blue eyes. All the old feelings roared back. In Loftus's mind, he visualized the bus stop. He turned to step on the outbound express to New York City. Kath, 
He said as if he did not believe she was really there. She swung her long legs over the saddle and stood before him in her jeans and blue Appleton Festival jersey. For a few seconds she just stared, her eyes moist and darting, and then she suddenly wrapped her arms around his chest. He hugged her and she tightened her grip. She wiped the tears off her cheeks. She spoke in the same soft but deliberate voice he had not heard for twenty years. My son left a rather lengthy note about a service agent who came to our house looking for you and your friend. It was as if time had passed and had not passed. This is a very dangerous government operation. I don't want you to get involved in this. Well, I am. I should have come up here a long time ago, not just now. She did not comment on the time lapse or anything else. Loftus knew what he had known in San Francisco when he sent Mikey back here. He was still in love with her. You really look wonderful. You're exactly as I thought. Strong chiseled face, same determined look, short crop of hair. Tommy, why are you up here? What are you doing in the woods with all these service people all over creation? You don't want to know. I probably don't. The outside world again came back into focus as Zack ran over. Kath looked at him and then back at Loftus. More copters swept the skies back toward the reservoir. Captain, I have to reiterate. Let's get undercover. Loftus nodded. Kath and John walked their horses onto the wooded trail. Kath, I can't explain this, but I have to get out of the area right now. You need help. She gazed up through the trees toward the distant copters beyond the field. Those copters and probably even troops are after us by now. They want us dead. Loftus found it odd she did not flinch. Well, then we'll just get you out of here. We know the woods. No way. I can't let you two get involved in this. Follow us. Loftus pressed his lips. Getting the information to DeLuca remained the paramount issue. But risking Kath made no sense unless they could leave immediately. At least let me find Agent Crawford, said John. He had his mother's wide cheekbones. Tell him you're up on the trail. Kath held Loftus' forearm and her face tightened. I have a rough terrain, Jeep. We can drive you through the woods and out of town. Kath, you owe me nothing. When you wiggle out of this, my old friend, as I know you will, you'll come back to Appleton and we'll talk about old times. She pushed back her auburn hair. The red highlights were prominent in the sunlight. Old feelings linger, Tommy. The bus station would not leave his thoughts. Back then, she had her arms crossed over her white sweater as she watched the bus pull away from the curb. He must have broken her heart. She turned toward her son. John, ride back to the cabin and get the Jeep. Meet us at the fork in ten minutes. We'll go on foot. You'll never get out of here on foot. John swung over the saddle and the horse thundered away. She faced Loftus, her lips curled over a neatly aligned set of pearly teeth. In his head, the ears crunched like a chain reaction traffic accident. He tried not to stare at her. She had grown older, but seemed more captivating. In an odd way, it was as if he had never left. Chapter 25 Mundy fixated on the rapidly moving, luminescent mustard clouds and sweeping rain sheets flailing the gray tarmac. Seven hours had elapsed since Loftus and Zach Grasso had abandoned the CV on Southeast Mountain back in Appleton, Vermont. Oddly, no mention was made of the incident during his meetings with the Premium Mobile. 
Maybe with the fire contained in operations nominal at Southeast Mountain, the premium mobile would never know Tom Loftus had caused such a disaster. Still, they had not captured Loftus. The visual of the intrusion showed Loftus and Grasso recording the facility interior. Breaking security could have catastrophic implications. Mundy hated Loftus. Loftus had the good looks, talent, and before Long Beach had always received the glory. Heading the service rewarded Mundy for planting explosives in the engine room. When he realized Allsworthy had survived the blast, Mundy moved quickly to whisk him away on the Catalina ferry. He turned from the window when the communications console button beeped. He lumbered over and pushed the speaker button. This is Colonel Mundy. Colonel, this is John Garvey. John, thank God, where are you? The weak transmission indicated Garvey was transmitting on a portable device. I'm in a copter rising over a southeast mountain in Vermont, Colonel. I've just reviewed the Loftus visual for this morning. Well, where is he? Where is Loftus? I'll get the bastard. The air blade spun in the background and the static crackled on the speaker. All roads are blocked. I don't want the central feeds involved. shot up Vandermeer's office at the project, and any investigation will be classified. By the time they stop spinning their wheels, we'll have Loftus, and that story will be history. Everyone will watch the story for a couple of days, and then go on to something else. We haven't got a couple of days. We can't give Loftus that kind of latitude. I pray he didn't send out those scans before I ordered a communications block up there. Hold it, John, hold it. He heard someone outside his quarters and ran quickly to the door. One of the workers had passed by the room and entered the staircase. Mundy closed the door and hurried back to the speaker. John, can you hear me? I'm here, Colonel. Loftus is very clever. I know Tom Loftus. We're over the eastern ridges now. We've had infrasensors scanning the woods, but we won't find much until the sun goes down and things cool off. Then we've got them both. He'll get away. I know he will, and he'll try and destroy me. That's why he's doing this, to ruin my career. Garvey spoke to someone in the copter. And I, uh, we'll find out what the, uh, widespread is. Are you listening to me, John? My ass is on the line over there. Colonel, I've contacted the local feeds in Burlington. Images of Loftus and Grasso have been fed into the commercial screens and virtual broadcast. We have branded them as disgruntled former service employees. We don't need this on the central feeds. Well, I don't think it will be. Colonel, relax. I've wanted to get this cocky bastard for years. The main thing now is containing the investigation. Mundy closed his eyes and inhaled slowly. He spoke in a sedated voice. This man threatens everything I have done. I understand. John, I want troops up there now. Colonel, I have troops on standby at West End Air Force Base, but if you're worried about the central feeds, bringing in troops would have them swarming all over the area. We put out a statement that our air activity is routine from the airbase, but the troops are another story. Mundy paced the room now, and his stomach wrenched as he glanced out at the storm. Damn him! Damn Loftus! I have eight copters in the air, Colonel, and unmarked civilian vehicles all over the valley. We'll get them. Mundy sat at the desk again and slowly leaned forward. John, I don't want any exceptions. I don't care who he has with him or where he is. Kill him! Chapter 26. Vernon tapped his fingers against the motel window pane. He grew anxious when he noticed Bronsky's missing bags. 
but someone had taken the blue motel van from the parking lot. Well, that does it. He kicked open the open door and looked both ways. Then he jogged along the motel rooms. The little desk clerk watched for the portal screen in the office. The feeds had a description of Tommy and described him as a disgruntled former panther tossed out of the service after the Allsworthy debacle. The clerk had a high-pitched voice. Can I help you? Man, they work fast. Where's my partner? The guy tightened his brow. He said he needed the van to move something. And you just gave it to him? Yeah, for a hundred bucks I did. He has it for an hour. Vernon stared at the images of smoke on the screen rising from Southeast Mountain. He headed for the parking lot and swung his body into his white Corsair vehicle. As he backed around the parking lot, he spotted another copter. Bronsky must have followed him up to Kathleen Grady's cabin. His wrist calm beeped. He debated whether to answer. Crawford. Crawford, this is Garvey. What the hell do you think you're doing? Vernon waited a few seconds. Hey, John, how are you today? What can I do for you? I asked what the hell you were doing. Vernon drove the courser out of town toward the Grady cabin. His hand shook as he responded. I, I don't understand, John. Don't understand? My contact has just told me you know where Loftus is hiding. Vernon pulled to the left lane to turn. He banged the steering wheel, knowing he had to get to the cabin before Garvey. I'm having trouble receiving you, John. He stared at the traffic light's red arrow as he wrapped his wrist calm. Then he spun the tires and fishtailed around the cars at the light. He cut across the oncoming traffic, turned onto the street that had the cows in the field. Hello, John. Hello. Where is he, Vernon? Vernon whispered in frustration as he accelerated over 70 miles an hour past the fence post. John, can you hear me? Crawford, I know you can hear me. You tell me where Loftus is hiding. The Corsair bounced down the hill. John, what is this about Loftus? You tell me where he is and I'll throw out any charges against you. Three copters hovered over the ridges east of the farm and the cabin. Vernon was sure Garvey had still not figured out the Kathleen Grady connection. He continued down the hill at high speed toward the cabin road. Loftus stood squarely at the fork, splitting the pass in the hills above the cabin. Kath asked a few questions about San Francisco. He blurted out generalities about his restaurant as Kath's son maneuvered a red jeep with a gray canvas top up the trail. He stopped, left the engine running, and jumped out. Loftus scanned the ridge and grew increasingly concerned about the copters less than a mile downrange. John, bring my horse back to the barn. I'll be back in ten minutes. I'm going to get them to the Overland Trail, said Kath. Wait, said Loftus. He shouldn't go back there. I'll be fine, replied John, mounting the horse. Zack put his hand on John's boot. Listen, kid, these people play for keeps. Kath, get away from here. Play dumb and pretend I never came up here. I'm telling you, this is very high risk. John nudged the horse and started down the wooded trail. Loftus gritted his teeth and looked toward Zack. Then he turned to Kath. I don't like this. I'm telling you, this is not a good move. Captain, you want me to get him back? Go get him, Zack. Zack drew his gun and pivoted toward the woods. One of the oversized copters skimmed the treetops. Damn. Why are those jet copters up here? asked Kath. That's what I'm trying to tell you. She opened the jeep door and pulled out a set of conventional field glasses and handed them to Loftus, who quickly raised the glasses to his eyes. 
Morkoptis sped over the valley, and armed troops sat in the side openings. This is not good. He's too far down the trail near the barn, Captain. We may only have a few minutes. Loftus handed the field glasses to Zack. Cap, get in the jeep and get out of the area. Zack pointed the field glasses toward the cabin. Captain, Vernon Crawford just pulled up in the CV in front of the cabin. Vernon! Zack handed the glasses back to him. John had dismounted by the barn, but had hitched the horse by the fence rail as Vernon ran up the driveway. Behind Vernon, a large red copter rose like an aberrant planet over a brick farmhouse across the field. They're figuring this out. John! cried Kath. Vernon is talking with John by the cabin and just waved him north into the woods. Good, he's out of danger. John is very resourceful. Marge Stanton's house is right through the woods. I can't believe this is happening. Loftus changed the focus. Vernon moved inside the cabin now as the copter circled above the yard. Loftus hung the glasses around his neck and held Kath's shoulders. Kath, we're going to continue on the trails. Go over to the Stanton's house with your son. I can get you out of town. No, I'm not putting you at risk. Zack listened with an amplifier from his pack. John Garvey is in that copter, Captain. Loftus swung the glasses toward the jet copter. Who's Garvey? Service. The copter now hovered about a hundred feet above a small horse arena near the barn. Zack dug out an earpiece and Loftus stuck it in his ear. Garvey stood in the opening, ear blades spinning above, and pointed an amplifier toward the cabin. Loftus! Now you and Crawford were in there with Crawford. He thinks we're inside the cabin. Loftus spotted a convoy of all camouflaged vehicles proceeding up North Street. Two more red-bellied copters grazed the treetops from the west. Got the whole bloody search party coming up here now, Captain. In his earpiece, he heard Vernon shout at Garvey from the cabin window. He claimed that Loftus was holding a gun to Cap's head and demanding safe passage to Mexico. Zack, did you hear that? Buying us time is what he's doing, Captain, said Zack. Loftus clenched his fist. I'm going to get himself killed. Garvey won't just sit by and take that. Kath's son must have told Vernon we were up here. Two additional copters raced over the university's brick library and veered toward Garvey's copter still over the yard. Five convoy trucks blocked the outside drive as several dozen troops took positions near the road. Another contingent approached the cabin through the woods. Garvey's voice cracked again from the copter. Robert, I have my orders and I really don't care what Loftus wants. You will come out with Grasso and Loftus. Vacate the building now. But he'll kill us all, said Vernon in a lower voice. Good. He'll make my job easier and save the taxpayers some money. Zack raised his bushy brows and nodded. He'll do it, Tom. There's no doubt in my mind he'll do it. Do what? asked Cap. Loftus pressed his lips and now assumed responsibility for the whole fiasco. Back in San Francisco, he had an uneasy intuition about coming back here. Images of the canyon rocks and the river on Altashar overlapped with the Appleton Forest as he staggered. Are you all right, Captain? He nodded and quickly exhaled as he turned toward Kath. That damn fool Garvey is threatening to blow up your cabin. Why? she asked, taking the field glasses. I'm going down there, said Loftus, heading for the jeep. Zack grabbed him forcefully. Tom, he'll nail you in a second. There's nothing we can do right now other than get out of this before he starts searching up here. My son, said Kath, still looking at the area below. When Loftus heard John Garvey give Vernon the one-minute warning, he moved Kath and Zack into the jeep. 
This Stanton place, where is it? She got behind the wheel. Down the trail, it connects with Shoot Hill Road. Loftus climbed inside but stayed near the Jeep window. He quickly raised the field glasses when he heard a gunshot in his earpiece. John Garvey positioned himself in the copter opening. Kath maneuvered the Jeep down the trail as Loftus watched from the side window. Another shot from the cabin sent Garvey back inside the helicopter. An eerie silence crept through the forest as the Jeep bounced down the wooded trail. Loftus had trouble keeping the binoculars focused on the cabin. He heard nothing except ear blades and the Jeep engine in his earpiece. Through the glasses, a single missile produced a short, fiery trail and splinted the chimney bricks. Three more missiles in rapid succession turned the cabin into a bright orange inferno, and a smoky brown cloud billowed rapidly into the sky over the hills. The ground rumbled all the way back to the ridge. Kath abruptly stopped the jeep and leaped out the door. Loftus followed her outside and over to the rocky cliff. He gripped her shoulders as black smoke swirled skyward. Everything I owned was in that cabin. Loftus closed his eyes. John Garvey bore the ultimate responsibility for the catastrophe. He held her long hair against his chest, and when he opened his eyes, Zack was ten yards away, his arms folded, as he stared at the distant, smoldering rubble. We need to get to the Stanton house. Kath choked through her tears. Your, your friend Crawford. Loftus kicked the leaves. He's dead. More troops ringed the yard, and additional men moved in from the unscathed barn. Garvey's jet copter descended vertically into the adjacent field. Loftus was more concerned about the other copters approaching over the ridge. Here they come, Captain. Let's get to the Stanton place. Loftus moved with her back into the Jeep, but Zack jumped in the driver's seat this time. He shifted once they were all inside and spun down the trail. Loftus wondered if they would even reach the Stanton house. Kath's brow slowly creased as she instructed Zack where to bring the Jeep. Letting her return as Garvey began a search along the ridge was now impossible. She directed Zack over a small bridge leading to a smoother wood path near a stream. There's another bridge up here. It leads to a lake and abandoned quarry, she said in almost a teary whisper. For now, head left. Loftus thought he heard copters again. He wanted John Garvey dead, but he also knew he had to get that tablet skin of the Appleton facility to Frank DeLuca. Zack held the wheel, and the jeep slipped onto a paved road cut through the wooded hillside. He slowed when Kath told him the Stantons lived around the next bend. Loftus peered through the binoculars. One of the copters had landed in the field next to a white farmhouse. Zack skidded behind a large maple and Loftus drew his gun. In the background, debris from the cabin burned furiously and a foul burnt wind drifted uphill. Five soldiers marched Kath's son onto the Stanton's front porch and across the lawn. More uniformed men stormed up the side lawn. Where are they taking him? Yelled Kath and he tried to hold her back. Where are they going? Questioning, said Zack, adjusting his earpiece. They aren't going to harm him. They're telling him that now. Screw Garvey, shouted Loftus. With his gun gripped tightly in his hand, he flailed his arms and ran behind a tree. Zack grabbed him and held him back. Captain, no. Those bastards have my son. They ruined my cabin and they killed your friend. Loftus's stomach sank as he thought about burning inside the ruins, and they all ducked behind the maple trees. Where are they taking him? Zack raised his brows and his dark eyes opened wide. They said Bathurst Island. Where? 
asked Loftus. Are you sure? Where is Bathurst Island? asked Cat. Canada. Loftus shook his head. Why Canada? We have to get to Deluca now. Kath watched as they marched John to an olive convoy truck. Loftus debated whether to storm the truck. These people are murderers. Well, it comes from the top, said Loftus through gritted teeth. Kath, we need to get out of here. I don't mean just Appleton. We need to leave the area. My son is in their truck. You don't understand. We have no choice. Chapter 27 Mundy paced the floor with the ferocity of a lion, waiting for tenderloin inside a circus cage. Garvey's graphic reports in Vermont had yet to confirm Loftus's death inside the cabin, and some kid in custody knew nothing about Loftus or his mission. Having finally received word about the Appleton station's problems, the premium mobile had summoned him to the office below. Under normal circumstances, the premium mobile made his stomach queasy and his leg muscles twitch. He passed through two tall green doors on the next level, saluted the two guards, and braced himself for an intense verbal barrage. He stepped into the darkened office with a single light emanating from an upper fluorescent room. Glowing green tubes rimmed the baseboard. After trudging up three concrete steps, he stood quietly below a massive, glossy black desk. He felt like a criminal on trial without the benefit of a jury. The inner doors behind the desk slid apart and the whine of a rotochair motor grew closer. The premium mobile's pasty flat face had the appearance of a bald corpse in the gray light. He said nothing. Mundy, afraid to speak, stared incredulously at the startling contrast to the man he knew before Long Beach. Allsworthy's translucent blue eyes protruded below his brow, and his voice produced a strained mechanical cadence. What upsets me the most, Harmon, is your adversarial attitude and the way you deliberately withheld knowledge of the Appleton attack from me. Tom Watt's is still at large, and he has valuable information. And my old compadre, Vernon Crawford, killed by John Garvey. I do not like that, nor do I like the fact that someone got into the Appleton facility. I want control, and I have a disaster. You are a fool, Harman. We can only contain this for so long. I even admire Tom. It wasn't fair what happened to him or me. They framed him and tried to kill me. And now, we are on the verge of phase two, and we gaining back what we have lost and more. Mundy raised his index finger. Don't forget, I'm the one who got you onto that ferry. You won't let me work yet. And that is the only reason you are alive right now. 
I got you out of Long Beach. I got the medical people aboard that ship, and Loftus is responsible for allowing your yacht to be blown up. No, the explosives were planted by the minions of Norman King. He closed his milky eyes for a second. We must accelerate everything immediately. I will avenge those in the administration who plotted my death. Mundy swallowed several times. What about Loftus? My only regret is that Tom has gotten in the way of something beyond his control. The time for old friendships and camaraderie has passed. I will be succinct, Hartman. Tom Loftus must die. Chapter 28 From a sleek arched concrete bridge north of town, Zack linked to the switching station back in Montreal. They followed the quick rail's progress north of town on the tablet's brown and red map of the valley. Seven minutes, Captain. He looked up from the tablet. This quick rail is headed to Binghamton, Wilmington, and Baltimore, and then on to Washington and Orlando. Kath looked north up the tracks. Why would they slow for us? Panels will indicate a structural abnormality in the track, said Zack. They will have to stop and scan the track. That will allow us time to get inside one of the cars. Loftus saw the tears well in Kath's blue eyes. Are you sure you can actually enter the train? Zack has an E7 status with the surface. We'll get in, right, Zacky? Zack nodded, but he adjusted his earpiece. Garvey just referred Mundy being involved in this. Oh, that's all we need. Three minutes, Captain. We need to get off the bridge and down to the bushes over there. Loftus motioned Zack with his head, and Kath said nothing as she moved across the bridge with them. I didn't mean for this to happen, Kath. Kath did not acknowledge his words, and they continued across the bridge. She stepped over the metal fence and moved down the rocky embankment. He could see in Zack's eyes that his old friend realized, as Loftus, that they had just ruined Kath's life. Loftus could not believe it himself. Up in the woods, he had assured himself he would not get Kath involved. And now, just minutes later, John Garvey had destroyed her property and her son was in service custody headed to Canada. Sixty seconds, Captain. Around the bend through the trees, the silver-pointed quick rail slowed and continued to slow toward the bridge. The train crawled by them. Steam jets shot out the sides with a hiss. The light cab with four men inside passed as the train finally stopped 200 feet to the south near a road crossing. Zack worked the tablet screen and the fourth car's slotted silver doors slid apart. The quick rail crew was already on the tracks ahead of the train. Zack led Loftus and Kath forward to the open doors. Loftus grasped Kath's hand and helped her inside a car filled with wire-wrapped crates. Zack followed them inside. He and Loftus manually closed the doors. Good work, old buddy. Zack produced his wide smile and raised his bushy brows. Every system has a code, Captain. A dreamy orange light drenched the forest valley over the New York border. Zack's prowess in stopping the quick rail and the overriding car security locks amazed Loftus. With Kath's subsequent silence, he wandered in the dim light to the wood crates. He kept his eyes closed and propped himself against the crates. A few minutes later, Kath's voice broke through the storage car's constant hum. How long have you known him, Zack? 
Captain and I have served together for 14 years. We were part of the intel units of the China mess. You mean the Panthers? How do you know about the Panthers? That China confrontation was all about power in the Pacific. The world came to the brink back then because of power, she said. It was about fighting for your life. It was about covering for your friends no matter what. Maybe the world saw a confrontation of power, but we saw it as survival. I never looked at the Sino-conflict like that. It bonded you, didn't it? Maybe. If you make it to the Panthers, you're already bonded. The quick rail moved south for a few more minutes before Calf spoke again. What does your scanning indicate about my son? He's in Colonel Garvey's personal jet over Canada, and the jet is headed to Bathurst Island, some kind of serviced outpost in northern Canada. Why would they bring him all the way to northern Canada? I don't know the answer to that. What is this Bathurst Island? I'm afraid I don't know that either. You're right about what you said about power and the Sino conflict. The service has great power. Loftus opened his eyes and saw out the outside landscape through the slotted walls. Then he closed his eyes as Kath responded. Power. It has overwhelming effects. It makes you live in a tunnel as if nothing else exists. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. Tommy lost his position because of power, didn't he? Followed his career? I know all about his career. Loftus set up his butterflies spread across his stomach. Zack cleared his throat as the quick rail sped through the silhouetted hills. Captain will get your son back, I guarantee that. In the murky light, Loftus pushed himself up the solid storage car wall. He walked toward Zack's tablet in the blue glow. Kath sat a few feet away from Zack with her arms crossed. She turned as he approached. Then she stood and met him halfway. A surreal gray light heightened her face. Tommy. Zack monitored their transmissions. They don't want to hurt John. They took him away from Appleton for security reasons. He's alive and your friend is dead. I'm sorry for that. Vernon was a good man. She nodded, trying to understand. He saved us all, all our lives. Who do we contact about my son? Loftus gazed across the indistinct landscape somewhere in New York. My old friend from the service days, Frank DeLuca. He's an advisor to the president. President King? Yes. He has the clout over all these clowns responsible for the mess up in Appleton. What exactly happened, Tommy? She said in a tone that demanded a reasonable answer. The service, or a cell of the service, is engaging in an illegal project up in Appleton. We were sent up here by DeLuca. Out of retirement. Loftus chuckled. Make me sound like an old man. She smiled for a second. There are extenuating circumstances. We were dragged into this, believe me. We were caught and escaped into the woods. Did you try and find me? He shook his head. No, I definitely tried to stay away. We were on the Magonset Trail and trying to get out of town. That's when the copters arrived. Vernon Crawford must have headed back toward your cabin at that time. Vernon was my case officer for 10 years. He knew exactly what happened between us and how I left and he figured you might try and contact me. He unfortunately made that assumption, yes. Vernon sent John and me into the woods. He said you and Zack were in trouble and needed to be either hidden or gotten out of town. Yes. This Garvey, he's crazy. Garvey will be punished or killed, I assure you. This whole thing is a convolution of errands, she said, closing her eyes. And you can't call DeLuca now because of obvious security reasons. That is a hundred percent right, said Loftus as they wandered back across the car. 
The train approached the city lights beyond the hills. Must be Binghamton. You're right, Captain, said Zack. Locked his face, Zack. Cargo in this car is headed to Orlando, so even when they stop, they won't bother us. We'll be prepared anyways. Yes, sir. She gazed up at Loftus in the brighter light. Does the President know about this? No, I don't think he does. It's a rogue element within the service. I know who they are. Once we reach Deluca in Washington, he can take action. I don't want you to be blamed like you were at Long Beach. Loftus's head snapped back. How do you know about Long Beach? Oh, I've managed to follow you over the years when there wasn't security surrounding your actions. You were slated for the directorship of the service, Tommy. I know that. City lights reflected into the car as she slowly looked into his eyes. She seemed confused or unsure how she got into this situation. God, I wish I could have met you in some other place without all this. I'm sorry. He walked her back to the crates. She turned and gazed at the lights along a wide river. Tommy, why did you really leave me? Loftus had not expected that question right now. The riverbanks and bridges passed by quickly. I don't know. You don't know? Well, certain things drove me. No, she said, smiling as she did long ago when she was about to win an argument. You left because you thought you had to do certain things. Look, Cap, now's not the time to be having this discussion. The train crossing alarms beeped, and a few moments later they flew past an intersection with vehicles lying behind the crossing rail. He glanced at Zack in the corner. His friend pretended to gaze outside. Tommy, you may never have the chance to talk again, and don't tell me how you never even thought about it. It's eaten away at me every day of my life, especially when I see you as a rising star on the central feeds, and even more after you were held responsible for Long Beach, because deep down inside... I know you never wanted to leave me. You'll deny it, and consciously can probably never accept it. Her eyes moistened. He pushed his teeth together and held her shoulders. Bus station. Watching you stand there when I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was 21 years old, and you're right. I thought I was doing what I needed to do. You know the letter of recommendation from Senator McGill? Professor Crossman pushing the service all the time I was at school? Everyone telling me about the great opportunity granted me? But that's only half the story. He looked into her eyes. Kath, I never stopped thinking about you, and I kept it all to myself for the most part. Even Zach doesn't know how I've replayed those decisions I made back then. And you know what? I've dreamed. I've dreamed about how it would have been if I had stayed and we had a family and spent our lives in Appleton. And I just can't rationalize in my mind why I left you. There had to have been another way. She raised her chin and her brow tightened as tears lift a shiny trail on her pudgy cheeks. We were young. We had the world in front of us. Do you remember how that felt? Yeah, I remember. She moved closer in her jersey and hair brushed his arm. The real crime, Tommy, is that we split apart. Both went about our lives and never acted on what we were both feeling. Never talked about it and just let it dissolve. There's so much I wanted to tell you, Kath. Loftus pulled her head against his chest and held her long brown hair. He breathed rapidly as he moved his fingers across the tears, channeling down her smooth skin. It's just not that simple, is it? She gently shook her head, settling in against his chest again. If there was one simple answer, everything would have been different. A deep emotional surge jolted his shoulders and his knees grew weak. The city lights gyrated as he lost his balance. 
He saw Kath in the dark sky behind the openings in the car. He fell back and hit the storage crates hard. Zack yelled from the other end and he went out. Trevor feared being alone now as he dragged the remains of the blood-stained foodstuff bag up the trail. His father's ripped leg flesh extended from his knee upward. He wailed as the two remaining Montang members carried him up the weathered red plateau rocks. His father would not continue on the journey to the shrine. How could they trust Tab and Shah would bring them to the shrine? Trevor cried with each of his father's painful outbursts. They hoisted his father up to the next rock level. His green, glassy eyes rolled in and out of consciousness. You must leave me. No, father, I will never leave you. Anak put his hand on Trevor's shoulder. Your father is right, Trevor. There is no way he can climb. His journey has ended. Once we reach the shrine, more attacks will come. His father whispered, where the Berrelton is met by the carpenter above the Semta. I will stay back with you. They loosened his father's upper garment. Anuk helped him remove the bunshaft that had always hung around his father's neck. Trevor had called it a color marker when it bent the sunlight. His shaking hands lifted it up and a purple reflection scattered across the rocks. Place the bunshaft over Trevor's head. Enoch grasped the rope and placed the bunshaft over Trevor's fluffy hair and narrow shoulders. Trevor squeezed his father's weak hand. He motioned Trevor closer and again whispered, Do not trust your own ways. Listen to your heart, to the oneness of Tabun Shah, and the path will be open. His eyes froze and his head rolled onto his shoulder. Trevor held his shoulders and cried. He heard voices and they pulled him apart. Enoch helped him up the rocks. Trevor's sobbing echoed down the canyon. He called for his father as if his spirit would somehow return to the cliff. Red hues soon covered the rocky ledges, and the first stars twinkled in the darkening skies. As they trudged up the trail, Trevor knew he would never see his father again. By circumstance, Kath and her son are dragged into the pursuit of Tom Loftus, whom she hasn't seen in 20 years. And then her son John is captured by Garby's men, and Vernon Crawford is murdered by missiles from Garby's chopper. Loftus can't call his old friend and contact Luca because all the communication would be monitored by now. They must escape by quick rail, not the freight trains that skirt the Pioneer Valley. Postscript, the premium mobile. We meet the premium mobile, which in old astronomy, used to be the moving sphere of a geocentric model of the universe that carried all the other spheres along with it. In this story, how true, how true. That's all for me, folks. If you like chases and battles, there's a lot in this novel. And romance, too. Let me get aboard the plane and circle back over the valley. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.